Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. Uh, I'm Brian Barnett, creator and host. I almost said, welcome back to The Last Symptom of Borderline Personality Disorder. That was the name of this show two years ago. So <laughs> if that gives you any idea how uh, tired my brain is right now. But welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm so glad to have you here, and uh, I hope you're having a wonderful week. The weekend is quickly approaching, so I, of course I hope you do something real nice for yourself, as I always do. And uh, we've got a special uh, guest today that we're going to be talking to. Her name is Emma. Emma, and uh, she's 19 years old. And she's been following me here for a few years, and I finally got a chance to talk to her, and I think you're really going to enjoy uh, getting to hear Emma talk about herself and talking about her experience and with a borderline personality disorder and emotional health. Before we get into that discussion, though, what I'd like to do is tell you about thelastsymptom.com. That's my website for free resources that I real, really hope that you take advantage of. The website also offers some paid services, such as one-on-one conversations with me, either on the phone or by means of Zoom video conferencing. And another thing that uh, I wanted to announce is that the Last Symptom Fundamentals course, the intensive course that I've offered live on a couple of occasions now, will be available in a pre-recorded format starting on Monday. On the Monday after this episode of the Last Symptom podcast airs. So let's see. That'll be Monday. I need a calendar. Let me take a looky see here. All right. So today's Thursday, the 22nd of October 2020. The Fundamentals course will be available on Monday, the 26th. So in just a few days. I will provide links for that over at thelastsymptom.com. It's about a 40-hour intensive course. Now, it might not quite reach 40 hours. The, the live version is 40 hours. But you got to understand that in the live format, the passage of time works a little bit different. It's not just me talking in the live format. So it's going to be close to 40 hours. It's about a two-week course. And as I've been working on it, I've been dividing it up into four-hour uh, days, trying to reach 10 days. Uh, by the time it publishes on Monday, I might have rearranged that into three-hour days for 10 days or something like that. But at any rate, 
it's the same experience as the live course minus the other live participants. So to work around that, I have created a special group on Facebook that, that is limited to only people who go through this course. And the name of that group is called The Last Symptom Alumni. And currently, there are only 21 members in there. It's an entirely different group from my Facebook education group that I've been hosting now for the past few years, which I'm still hosting. Uh, and everybody's welcome to, to answer the entry questions and join that group. But this group, the Last Symptom Alumni Facebook group, is specifically reserved for people who have had the experience of going through a Last Symptom structured course such as this one that's about to release on Monday. And the reason for that is because I want everybody who has had the experience of going through the course or who is going through the course of being able to form relationships with other people who have had the same experience and to use them as a resource, a supportive resource moving forward. So because those who take the pre-recorded course won't have other classmates uh, going through the course with them in a live format. Uh, my workaround for that was to create this new group, the Last Symptom Alumni on Facebook. So you'll be able to look forward to that if you go through the, the structured course. And the course itself, I just think, is just going to be so beneficial for so many people. Uh, I really hope that you will uh, at least consider taking it and... Uh, so all the information that you'll need will be up on the website sometime on Monday. That's my plan anyway, you know, best made plans and all that. But, but that's my plan. So be sure to check in with thelastsymptom.com on Monday where I will be uh, really trying to get this, this intensive course, this two-week intensive course, polished and finished and up on the site by then. Of course, uh, a great support for my overall body of work is donations. And if you'd like to leave a donation for uh, my overall body of work, which includes this, this podcast, please run over to thelastsymptom.com, and you can do that right from the donation tab. And I want to take this opportunity to thank everybody who has uh, supported my work financially here in the last couple weeks. Today's episode of the podcast is thanks to you. I really appreciate it. I can't say that enough. It really is because of your donations and your support uh, through the paid services and those sorts of things that uh, makes this possible for me and makes it possible for you to hear this show every week. Well, with that said, I know you're all eager to hear what Emma's got to say, so let's just get right into it today. And uh, I hope you enjoy this. So I'm here with Emma Jones, and she's telling me all these great stories. Emma, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing really good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing very good. So to give everybody an idea of who you are, who I'm talking to here, tell us a little bit about yourself, your, you know, your age. Um, don't give us any, you know, don't tell us the town you live in, but give us kind of an idea of where you live, whereabouts you live. And we'll start there. 
Sure. Um, yeah, so I live in British Columbia, Canada. I've lived here all my life. Um, I am 19 years old. Some of my hobbies, I guess you could say, are uh, skateboarding and art. And uh, I like to go fishing and um, out in nature. And I have borderline personality. When you go fishing, what do you fish for? Um, like trout. Um, I just actually moved really? to Vancouver Island. So we have more of an opportunity to, uh, go out and do like saltwater fishing. So I'd really like a chance to go out and catch a salmon one day. I haven't, but I think that'd be really fun. I hear you guys have some really nice walleye up there. We do. A lot of it's, people around here go. It's lovely. That is uh, why I wanted to move to the island. I'm just, I love um, the landscapes here and I just think it's a beautiful spot. I've always been a bass fisherman and, you know, yeah. like a freshwater bass, bass fisherman. And uh, the guy who really taught me how to bass fish, one day he come up to me and he said, Brian, he said, I found something to dethrone bass. He said, you... You know, I love bass and I love bass fishing, but he says, bass got nothing on walleye. Walleye? So he goes up north. Yeah, walleye. Walleye? I've never heard of that fish. Oh, he goes up north to like Michigan Okay. on the, the lake, the Great Lake. You know, if you cross it, it'll take you to Canada, won't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So anyway, he just said that uh, walleye is just a fantastic fish. Tastes good. Oh. It's fun to fish. That's fresh water. I've never even heard of that kind of fish. I'll have to look more into that then. Tell us about your art. You were telling me something here just before we started recording about sure. art. So um, I've been into art like all of my life. I really um, attached to it. it. Pretty much became a lot of my identity. Um, and so when I was in middle school, maybe uh, 13 or 14, I started getting the opportunity to actually have my cartoons published in the local newspapers. Our local mall has like a advertisement book. I got my cartoons published in there as well. So yeah, I've been doing art ever since I can remember. I've been very passionate about it. And that's one of my, maybe one of my proudest things about myself really? from that age. Yeah, I thought, um, just really proud of pushing myself and sharing my art with potentially like thousands of people. So, yeah. Were you doing a four panel comic strip or were you doing a single com uh, panel comic strip? There are about four panels, I'd say. Yeah. I think they're kind of different every time. They kind of, since I was younger, I think they were a bit more lax on like the rules and stuff and kind of let me work a bit more with my creativity, which I really appreciated. In high school, were you known as the the cartoonist? I was definitely were you known as a known as an art girl. Yeah, I was always in the art room. I mean, I would hang out there sometimes on my lunch breaks and stuff. Some of my favorite teachers were the art teachers. That's what a lot of people would know me as. I think as the girl who was really into art. We were just talking before we started recording here that I was a cartoonist too. I was published by the time I was 13, but I started six years old was when I really started drawing serious, you know, getting really into it. And um, 
the shapes, drawing shapes. And to this day, shapes uh, create an emotional response in me. It's, it's almost like I can feel the shapes inside of, of, inside of myself. And having a blank sheet of white paper in front of me is just, I don't know how to describe it. It's like the greatest feeling in the world because I know I have the freedom to put whatever I want across that canvas. Yeah, there's so much potential. I love that. You said that you like to paint too. You like to paint with uh, acrylic. Yeah. Have you ever painted with oil? Oh, um, to be honest, not very much. Maybe a little bit like in high school. I've bought a lot of art supplies over the years, so I've tested out different things. Well, it's nice to get to know you here. I know you already, but it's nice for everybody else to get a chance to know you. Tell everybody how you come across the last symptom and how long ago that was. Sure. So uh, I guess it would have been the end of 2017. I was 16 turning 17. My ex-best friend, she was hospitalized and she was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And we started talking about it together and... I just realized how similar we were to each other. And she ended up recommending your podcast to me because she heard about it through another friend. So I never went searching out for the podcast like on my own in the beginning, but um, she was just raving about you. And so I thought I'd give it a shot. So I was, um, that would have been 17 years old that I started listening to you. I meant mm-hmm. to ask you about your friend yesterday. Oh, you said that you guys I weren't friends no more. I tell you a lot and, about uh, Well, we uh, won't pull her into a... Sure. <laughs> I think some people think that I'm supposed to be perfect, and I try to emphasize that I'm just a normal guy, that, I, that I'm not perfect. Have you ever heard the saying, uh, never meet your heroes? I haven't. Have you ever heard that expression? No. So, you know, if you're like a fan of some movie star or something, the idea is that if you meet them and get to know them, it's just going to totally disappoint you. I totally see And, you know, you're never going to be able to look at that person the same again, but because you've built them up, you know, in your mind better than what they actually are. So to try to prevent that from happening, I'm constantly trying to, you know, assure people that I'm just a regular person. Right. And I I still make mistakes and stuff falls in there right right a lot of a lot of recovery involves just uh, acknowledging the human condition distinguishing what is just you know being a person from what is uh, an emotional disorder well i'm glad you found me i'm glad i found you as well <laughs> so that was 2017 yes just the end so i would have started probably in 2018 but around there yeah Okay, thereabouts. Mm-hmm. And um, we didn't actually get a talk to talk, you and I, until just the other night. And I was really impressed with you, so I asked you to come on the show. Let me think of some uh, some juicy questions I can ask you, you know, sure. some really scandalous things. <laughs> okay, let's get into it. <laughs> are you ready for this? Sure. So with your experience with borderline personality disorder, would you like to tell people, you know, what are kind of the primary things that you were dealing with when you discovered my work. Let's talk about that for a little bit. And then once we get into that, 
what I'd like to talk about after is kind of the advancement you've made since then. You you said the other day that you've noticed changes. Oh yeah, definitely. What I would say regarding what I was dealing with a lot when I started listening to you, a lot of anger. I would say one of the biggest issues of mine is controlling my anger. Yeah, I just had this constant rage basically and it was I already felt shame for my feelings and I would try to suppress them and then the anger would be so intense and I wouldn't be able to control it and I'd lash out and it would um you know emotionally hurt family members and friends and I would feel even more shame over it and it was just like a a very vicious cycle where I would try and suppress the specifically the anger and it, it wouldn't go well and I just feel almost like this evil I don't know uncontrollable monster some of the other things that I was really struggling with I've had uh, an eating disorder since maybe I was 11 years old And it got, it was pretty bad around that time, specifically bulimia. Anytime, you know, some, something uncomfortable came up that I didn't want to think about or deal with, like food and my body and all that stuff was just something that I could totally latch onto and focus on instead of actually accepting what I was feeling and asking myself what I was feeling. I struggled a lot with self-harm as well, specifically cutting myself, burning myself. So I have an arm full of scars, which I've had a long um, process of like coming to terms with it and accepting that this is what my body looks like. It's hard because you know I did these things to my body when I was like 14 to 17 that was the the worst of the self-harming and it's just like I have my whole life ahead of me and I have all these (sighs) imperfections or whatever on my body and already being in the recovery process from BPD it's distanced me from the self-harming a lot. And I look at it sometimes and I'm almost surprised, you know, that that is something that I actually used to do to myself. And I think I would almost dissociate when I would self-harm. So I wouldn't even really... I wasn't present when it was happening. I almost was just in this, like, I just couldn't zone out. Yeah, exactly. I was just like on this path and I couldn't really, um, just slow down and like, like, wow, what am I, what am I doing to myself? And also just like in general, I did not know who I was. Like I, I took everything personally. School was hell for me because I thought everyone was trying to make a personal attack on me. I mean, 
it was really, it was really hard. And I would, you know, see different things people were doing and be like, that's what, this is what's normal. So I would try and copy them. And it just, it was never like a real me. I was always grabbing these different parts of my friends and like smushing it together kind of, and like forming this mold of myself, but it wasn't actually me. It was just me imitating my friend's sense of humor, imitating their style, imitating whatever they wanted to talk about. I don't know, that kind of stuff. That's a lot what I struggled with. Sure. Have you noticed improvement in in those things, in all of those things, or just some of those things? Or in the last couple of years, what have you seen change? One of my favorite things that you say are, People are like the weather. There's so something you have no control over. So what really changed things for me was just learning that um, I can take responsibility for myself and what I can control in my life and that people's reactions and how they choose to think, how they choose to speak, that is more of a reflection on them. And it's not some, the world doesn't revolve around me and people wanting to attack me or hurt my feelings. And I'm just able to see now that it's not, um, yeah, not a personal attack, but before it, it used to be someone would do something I wouldn't like and it would be confirmation that I'm worthless and that I'm a bad person. I just, I don't really see things that way anymore. I think sometimes I still, because I'm a human, I get pulled back into that thinking, but that is something that has had a huge change in the past few years. So when you get pulled back into it, you're, you're quick to forgive yourself for that? Yeah, I think I'm a lot more forgiving when you mentioned your imperfections, how did you feel mentioning that to a hundred million people? <laughs> mentioning that you have imperfections. It's kind of scary. That probably but I, isn't something that you would have said. Definitely not. Um, yeah, no chance. <laughs> but I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm just not ashamed anymore. Is really what it comes down to, and I know that there are so many other ways to self harm, anyways. Oh yeah. Yeah, it can be all kinds of, it can come in all kinds of forms, can it? Yeah. So for people listening, um, let me describe Emma here for just a minute, just so you can know who to imagine. Uh, She's a young woman, obviously. She's 19. She's got blonde hair, and she's just a beautiful, beautiful woman. She's got the most beautiful eyes. Thank you And um, got a very beautiful face. And so... uh, (laughs) That's, you know, obviously uh, anybody is worried about imperfections. I remember I used to be pretty stressed out about my imperfections too. Here's my other question for you about that. Mm-hmm. When you hear me talking about my imperfections and laughing about them on the, the Last Symptom podcast, what do you think about that? Do you think, boy, he's come, he must have come a long way because I, I don't know if I could do that. You know, like when, you, when I talk about my uh, Quasimodo mangled toe, uh, what do you think about that? Obviously, all of us have things about ourselves like those things, right? Sure, of course. Yeah. And I think, like, I have those things too. That 
like the self-harm scars and, you know, I don't love how my toes look. I don't love the bridge of my nose. Um, I think that, you know, everyone just does have those things and it. Here's the thing. Um, when you were talking about your imperfections, what I noticed was that you kind of hesitated there for a minute. Uh, kind of like you went inside yourself and were thinking about the imperfections. Sure. And you weren't certain if you wanted to even mention them. And then you did mention them, uh, which I thought was courageous. And I thought that that was a demonstration of progress for sure. And so I wanted to kind of celebrate that, that, that here you just told a whole, you know, thousands of people that you have imperfections. Right. That probably you would have wanted to pretend away a couple of years ago. <laughs> so that made me think, I wonder if she learned that from listening to the podcast when I talk about my imperfections and I just kind of do it um, with no shame whatsoever. And I kind of laugh, you know, when I like oh, laugh yeah, about my toe or laugh about Absolutely. I think my shorts way, getting yanked down. And, I think adding humor to anything can make it a hundred times better. And the way that you kind of talk about your imperfections or you're not like talking down on yourself. It's just the way things are. And yeah, I think that it made me not like think that it's funny what my body looks like, but you know, it's really, really not a big deal. And um, you continue about your day, you go on. Yeah, I, th I think I told you the other night that uh, a lot of people think that recovery is identifying all these things we we really dislike about ourselves, fixing them, and then liking ourselves. Right. And yeah. that's not that's not the nature of genuine recovery. Not the at genuine all. recovery is uh, <laughs> identifying things that will never change. They're they're unfixable. You know, like I got a a freckle on my leg. Well, I mean, surgically I could have it removed, but I'm not going to, yeah, that's um, right. but it, I'm not crazy about it. But the secret to emotional health is not running from these things. It's embracing these things. So a person finds contentment by not pretending like these imperfections don't exist, but you know, deciding what you're just going to be living with for the rest of your life. What, what makes you who you are and embracing those things, the, the bad along with the good. Exactly. Um, I think a good example of this is that I've started um, working out in the past few months, but I've really been doing it more for myself and for my own health and, you know, bettering my body and taking care of it because, you know, I talked about how I have an eating disorder. I was always, you know, it was focused on working out to either punish myself or, you know, I'm, it's because I don't deserve these certain things. Um, but now I kind of look at it in a way that this is the body that I have that I was born with. Um, and all I can do is just take the best care of it that I can. And I found that like exercising and just in a genuine, like wanting to take care of your self way, it naturally gives you more confidence because, you know, I can see my body changing a little bit. I can see it getting stronger. I can feel it getting stronger and I'm not changing it because I don't like 
how it looks so much anymore. I'm changing it because it feels good to do that for myself. Yeah, I've been I've been doing that myself too, trying to trying to get back into pre-COVID shape. You know, I went to uh, saw my doctor the other day. Uh, not my doctor, but my daughter's my daughter's doctor. I don't go to the doctor unless I'm dying of something. Then I go to the doctor. But my daughter's doctor is a guy who's uh, ten years older than me, so he's fifty five. He was looking ripped, and I said, "What in the world have you been doing? You look a lot different from the last time I was in here." And he said, yeah, man, he said, uh, this COVID-19 hit and I don't know what it was. He said, I wasn't really trying. I just, I guess I was eating out less, you know, going out to restaurants less. And he said, I started to drop weight. And so I, it encouraged me and I just kept going. And he said, look at this. He pulls up his shirt and he had a, a six pack (laughs) 55 year old man. And I said, that's just, it's unacceptable. You're walking around with that six pack and I'm not, (laughs) Um, that was my encouragement that when this uh COVID-19 hit the pandemic man I just really let things go and kind of got lost in my work but it, not really getting out and doing much you know except for like a, a backpacking trip in the summertime but you know uh, it wasn't enough to to undo all the McDonald's Big Macs so right. <laughs> it's coming along good I mean I feel good I feel a lot better than I did a couple months ago we were talking about things that have improved since you discovered the last symptom and advancement that you've made. How about with the self-harm? It seemed like you were saying that that had gotten better. Definitely. I um, I don't think it was one specific thing that just like stopped me from self-harming. It was a daily battle. And if I was not doing one self-harming strategy or technique, then I would rely on another one and I would just keep you know, finding these different ones. And um, it didn't... Yeah, you had talked about suppressing it. And I was yeah. I was going to say that suppressing these things is kind of like steam. It's, it's like steam. You know, the energy behind it just converts into something else. Uh, like, like a lot of alcoholics. If they just stop drinking, but they never address the underlying emotional issues that are causing them to drink in the first place. Well, then that drinking just turns into something else. So it's great that they're not drinking, but now they might be gorging on food. And, yes. you know, their weight might go up 300 pounds because the energy behind that just goes from drinking into another numbing out type of behavior or another uh, yeah. coping it's thing. With me. So it was like, a, you know, it was like, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you, but you, you, so before you were su- suppressing it, now do you still feel like you're suppressing it? I don't. I, I'm not going to lie and say I, I don't get urges, but right when I get them, I Is think, that under stress? Yeah, it's not. When it was really bad, I would self-harm for any reason. Now when I get those urges, it'll be like a kind of elevated situation that's not... I can't really think of an example, but something that I've gotten worked up over, it's kind of big. And Uh the thought, it's a different kind of thought where I miss that release that it gave me, but I immediately think I don't want to do that to my own body. Now I see it as like, why would I hurt my body? Like, why would I do that to myself? I don't, what I'm trying to say is like, the urges are kind of like automatic 
I'm not sitting there wanting to hurt myself. I get the thought, but then I'm reminded like, well, wait a second. Like this is because I was addicted to doing this for years and it gave me an emotional high. And I can see inside my rational mind, I can see that I I don't want to hurt myself. And so I'm able to... Kind of like be like, you know, no, like those are old urges from old Emma. And that was when I hated myself and I'm not like that anymore. I respect my body. I'm not going to do those things oh, excellent, just Emma. because of some fast urge that comes up. Yeah. So it sounds to me like you're kind of walking around always consciously aware of what you're feeling most of the time. Absolutely. So you're yeah. kind of observing your feelings and saying, okay, oh, that's great. Yeah, that's yeah, half the that's battle right I there. I try my best to do that anyways. That's excellent. How long would you say that you've been walking around consciously aware of, you know, kind of observing what you're feeling and, and kind of being aware of your feelings like that? Within the past year, I think I've noticed having the chance to um, be out of high school gave me a lot more perspective on what life is actually like. I found over time I was able to more clearly identify my emotions and yeah, not suppress them because that is what gets me into those bad places so quickly even still is... I just, I don't want to deal with what I'm feeling. I'm like, oh, it's too much. It's too, like, why do I, I, yeah, I don't want to deal with it. But the second I do, you know, I say, what am I feeling? I I don't deny what I'm feeling. I accept what I'm feeling. Um, I don't see emotions are good, as good or bad things. Over time, like, it's just been a lot more every single day that I I really am in touch with what I'm actually feeling. That that happened early on in my recovery too. That was kind of one of the first things that I noticed was that I could no longer walk around oblivious to what I was feeling. The, my whole life, I just walked around really not paying attention to what I felt, not really consciously aware of what I was feeling. I mean, I knew that I was feeling things, but I wasn't really ob- observing it you know, observing what I was feeling. And that was almost an immediate change for me. Once I realized the importance of feelings and especially what was at the root of a lot of the things that I was feeling, that very next thing really was then me beginning to um, be conscious of what I was feeling. So I'd be at the store and, you know, if I started to get frustrated, it would be like a, an alarm. I, it would kind of like draw my attention to it. And so my attention would go to what I was feeling and I'd start observing it. I'm feeling, I'm feeling frustrated or I'm feeling anxious. And, and then I would start analyzing that. Why am I feeling frustrated? And, um, so what a beautiful thing that that's really good work right there. Right there is just tremendous because a lot of people listening to us right now, they're still stuck in the stage where they're just walking around and and their feelings are just firing off without their even being conscious of it happening, you know, or really being conscious of what they're specifically feeling at different times. Um, So I just like to encourage listeners 
to kind of follow your example to to try to get into that state where where you're not just walking around and these things are happening you know these feelings are happening underneath your radar you really want to be kind of an observer you want to be observing what you're feeling in different situations and trying to understand why i think that um something just to start with for working on that is in the beginning i did not even understand what the emotions were and so i wouldn't even bother to ask myself what i'm feeling because i didn't know what it was and i had such a hard time figuring out what emotions they were so learning about different emotions and what did you do for that literally just studying emotions just that's what it worked for me and it's just finding the definition of different emotions um i mean you can find those like kind of like wheel charts where it says like the basic emotions like sad happy and then it'll branch off of those and i i tried to um pick and choose like which ones kind of matched with me and i found Uh like after then i was like okay so this is the emotion i'm feeling now like where can i go with that information sure that's a good recommendation yeah it has been said that human emotions are so many that you could never create a comprehensive list of all of the emotions that we as people feel. That's now, there are the obvious ones. You know, there's happy, there's sad, there's angry. Those those are the obvious ones. But once you get into more nuanced territory, you know, how about like when you're feeling angry and giddy at the same time? Or how about when you're feeling uh, frustrated and affectionate at the same time? You know, there's so many nuances and and variations of these feelings that, you know, you never know all of them, but I like, I like what you did. You know, you said, well, in in order for me to be more conscious of my feelings, I'm going to go look up what some human emotions are so that I can at least try to identify them. That's kind of brilliant. Now you, you're kind of a laid back person, you know, uh, talking to you, you're kind of like laid back and easy going. So when you talk about lashing out, a lot of people might have a hard time imagining you lashing out. I know that when a lot of people hear me now talking on the podcast, they they think, well, he couldn't have been that bad when he had borderline personality disorder. Oh, I was bad. I was both a fighter and a lover. I'd lose my mind. I'd go into uh, like Wolverine animal mode, you know, when I'd get really mad. So that's what I want to know about you. Could, could you paint a picture for us? How sure. comfortable are you painting a really brutal picture for us of what your lashing out looked like what would you do would you knock things okay. around would you sure so bite um, people? <laughs> <laughs> um when i was younger it was just tantrums all the time like uh my parents would like go into the bedroom yeah stomping uh-huh. i would lie lie on my back put my feet against their door and just bang my feet against their door and I think my sis, little sister learned that technique from me. Just screaming, cre- yeah. screaming, crying. Usually it was arguments with my parents when those things, when those big blowups would happen. When I got older, it almost became scary how the anger would translate into like me wanting to be not necessarily physical with someone else, but like I couldn't keep it inside I had this rage I 
I remember describing it to my mom. I would just scream. I feel like I'm on fire because I, it's just so incredibly intense. I didn't know what to do. And yeah, it's I kind of embarrassing to talk about, but like even a few years ago, I would be screaming and crying and you know, I remember sitting at our kitchen table and shoving the table across the room and smash or not smashing, but uh, hitting a chair to the ground and I've broken things. And it's really weird to, to be like, even sitting here now thinking about like, wow, that was really something that I would do that I yeah, had well, that inside lot, of me. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of people listening right now who have either dealt with that themselves or are dealing with that themselves. Has it, and that's gotten better. Oh yeah. And like, that is, it's such a relief to like, what happens now whenever you get into a situation that normally would have, you know, before sent you into something like that, what kind of dialogue starts happening in your head when you start to feel the you know we were just talking about how so much of the battle is being conscious of what you're feeling mm-hmm. right so i'm sure that that plays a big role Definitely. in this now being improved for you yeah yeah it come it all comes back to that stuff that we were talking about is just seeing what i was really feeling and also understanding the component of anger that it's like the example you use, you're like locked in a room with this 24 seven with the person that you despise and you have to deal with them. And that, that anger, it's, um, shit. That anger is shit. Boy, that's perfect. <laughs> it's, I was going somewhere with that. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. I think I may know where you were going at it with. So my one of my follow-up questions on that was going to be being conscious of what you're feeling probably helps and then understanding that the reasons for the anger are not what they appear on the surface. Yes, yes, sorry. That's helps. exactly what I was trying to get at. Yeah, that made like a huge difference. Is this the first time you've ever been interviewed? Yes, it is. <laughs> I've never, I mean, I was in a writer's camp oh, when I was younger, so we practiced interviews, but thank you. Yeah, this is never done anything like this before. My daughter, she was working on G's, like writing the letter G the other day, and okay. she was just like so angry and frustrated. I said, <laughs> this is the very first time in your entire life you even tried to write the letter G and you don't, yeah. don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> really good. No, no sense of hating herself over the letter G. I mean, if you're going to hate <laughs> yourself, it, it should at least be over the letter. I don't know. R or something. <laughs> you're fresh out of high school. You've been out for a year now. This is my second, actually my second year out of high school, but I've done one complete year without it. How's life outside of high school going for you? Now I've had the chance to do so many more things that I'm a lot more confident in myself, like, you know, moving out, finding a place to rent and just more responsibilities come along with that. And I moved about, about seven hours away. I moved. You said a boat. 
You said a boat. <laughs> you got me. You said you don't say a boat. <laughs> I didn't think I did. <laughs> so how far away did you move away? Um, I'm actually not sure of the exact amount of time because it's a bit of a drive and then you have to take the ferry over. But it's about... Oh, you do? Yeah, so it's about a seven-hour trip, I'd say. Are you on an island? On Vancouver Island. So if the world gets attacked by zombies, you would be safe as long as they didn't bring any ferries across. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> Unless the breakout started on Vancouver Island. <laughs> Then, then we would all be safe. <laughs> Interesting. So I've grown up in like my hometown. The population was maybe like 12,000 or something like that. So I've always oh, lived. Town. Yeah. So and I've never really liked that. So moving here was like really incredible. There's just, I'm just not really one of those people who likes that small town lifestyle knowing everyone's secrets and you like be, whatnot you like being where the action is and exactly and there's just a lot more um like-minded people here i guess you could say you're uh getting life started let's uh oh, go ahead i just i think that this is kind of maybe an interesting part that i could share is that is when I wanted to confront my mom is right around September of the, my first year out of high school. I was like, you know, I, I listened to all of this amazing information you put out here. I've learned so much. I want my mom to understand this better. I want her to take responsibility. I want this stuff. Um, that didn't go so well. We got into huge fights about it. And if you ask her, she'll say I moved out. If you ask me, I'd kind of say she kicked me out. But uh. confronting her with it was not the best idea. And so I was basically living at my now ex-best friend's house and her ex-boyfriend's house we all decided to move in together and get a place because I didn't really have anywhere else to go and I think that was a really important part of my BPD recovery was that big blow up with my mom like I actually don't regret having it I really really learned how to set boundaries and it was so hard for me to pull away from my mom because she, we would have this very intense relationship where I would tell her everything like she was my confidant I loved her so much but we still butted heads over the BPD and I had decided you know I'm I told her I, I can't keep in contact with you if you're not going to except what happened in the past. It, I don't know. It was very frustrating. She was like, I believe you have BPD, but it's like, she's just not willing to um, accept exactly her role. 
in what happened in my childhood. So I felt like she was almost denying that I have borderline personality disorder because the only way you can have it is from emotional abuse from parents. So I followed through with my boundary and I didn't talk to her for like months, basically. I was living in the town next over to her town. And that was really, really hard because my mom was someone who I went to for everything, but I I decided to set this boundary with her where she wasn't willing to make any changes. She wasn't willing to accept her role. And I just couldn't handle having that relationship with her anymore. What happened in the end, there was no, I'm sorry that it's my fault you have BPD. I'm, I'm sorry. There was no like, what I was looking for, a big apology or something, but that's really not what you should be looking for anyways. But she, I saw in her actions how she changed and she went to therapy. She listened to your was that new? Was that... Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. She started working on herself in different ways. And I think that's better than an apology, really. Changed behavior is more what I'm looking for. So yeah. Inspirations I, of remorse. Yeah. Yes. Do you remember me talking to you about uh, that teeter totter? Remember, I was talking oh, about yeah. the teeter totter. Yeah. That's stuck in. Did I mention book. that to you? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Right. So the teeter totter is this: for all of our mistakes and our indiscretions and everything we did while we were ignorant and had borderline personality disorder, the standard that we hold ourselves to is that we ourselves have to demonstrate remorse. But what is a demonstration of remorse? It's not saying I'm sorry. A demonstration of remorse is when we do the work to try to figure out what we did wrong and why. Once we we do that, we are demonstrating genuine remorse. And then we qualify for forgiveness. And that's nice because it doesn't matter if anybody forgives us or not. It would be nice if they did, but it, you know that's up to them if they do or not. The important part of that is that whether they do forgive us or not, we have met the qualifications for forgiveness by demonstrating genuine remorse. And then we look inward and we say, now I can forgive myself. Why can I forgive myself just because? No, we can forgive ourselves because we're meeting the, the qualifications for forgiveness. You know, we're demonstrating remorse. And the teeter-totter comes in because the balance you know, the, the balance that the teeter-totter f- finds is that we also apply that to other people. I'm sorry is not enough. I want to see a demonstration of remorse. If you do that, you qualify for me to forgive you. If you don't, you don't qualify for me to forgive you. But people say, well, that's, that's not very nice. Well, you know, the whole concept of boundaries, if you're inappropri- inappropriately Extending forgiveness to people who are not sorry, have demonstrated no remorse, uh, then you just simply don't understand boundaries and and how they're supposed to work, boundaries and conditions. But the nice thing about it, the teeter-totter, is that we're not holding them to any standard that we don't hold our own selves to. That's exactly right. We expect them to meet the qualifications to be forgiven. And we expect ourselves to meet the qual- certain qualifications in order for us to be able to forgive ourselves and also for others to hopefully forgive us too. You know, I, the, I think about the people in my past. I don't know if they know about this work. I don't know if they, 
you know, have even Googled me or anything like that, but whether or not they ever, I ever get a letter saying, Brian, I've, you know, I'm really impressed with how you've uh, turned this thing around and I forgive you. Whether or not that ever happens is kind of irrelevant because the important thing is that I know that I have met, at least met the conditions that qualify me for forgiveness, you know? So it's not too permissive and it's not too critical. It's just perfect right there in the middle, like that teeter totter. That's right. But that's what you're mentioning. You, you know, when you're talking about your mom, right? you needed certain things in order for the relationship to continue. And then once she demonstrated an interest in understanding these things, well, then she met the qualifications for, for a relationship. Exactly. And then when she, you know, showed herself in those different ways, I started saying, okay, yeah, let's hang out. Let's go get coffee. Let's talk about things. And I was able to share more about um, borderline personality disorder with her. And she was more just willing to hear about it and stuff. To be honest, I think she's still in denial about a lot of it. But that doesn't mean I haven't seen a lot of change. Right. Well, you know, you didn't start off, uh, you know, on the first day being uh, as advanced as you would have liked to have been either, right? So we that's that teeter-totter thing again. You, you recognize the need to allow yourself time to progress because this is a process. And we, we grant that to other people too, like our mothers, our you know, I would grant that to my dad if he were to uh, even you know, just what your mother's doing. And it's just enormous that she's even going to somebody, trying to get answers, trying to understand uh, the fact that she doesn't understand everything at this point is forgivable. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's because it's not reasonable to think that she would understand everything at this point. Yeah. Is there anything that you really, you know, that you really wanted to share that I haven't asked you? When you hear this, you're going to regret not not including it. I just want to say you have the total control to take your own life into your hands anytime you want. And I wouldn't rely so much on the mental health professionals um, because personally, I've been in the mental health system since I was maybe let's see i was i must have been 14 and none of them were able to point me in the right direction at all none of them gave me the right diagnosis when i would ask for help with bpd i've had people tell me i don't have bpd i've had people tell me some of the symptoms are fun to experience i I've had them say, like, let's just focus on fixing say that again. Symptoms. You said that uh, some of you, you, you had yeah. someone say that it was, there were fun, was fun symptoms. Yeah. Like the dissociation part of it. He said, well, it's kind of, it's kind of nice to just get to be all spacey and whatnot or something like that. That was, that was a really weird time. That I was mean, a professional. Yes, I was. I went to the hospital because I was having a crisis and that is the man who I got to talk to. 
So all I want to say is just you as an adult, like can take control of your own life. Some days, you know, are going to be easier than others, but um, I just recommend diving right in by yourself. I mean, having a counselor along the side is can be very helpful, but a lot of the information out there set me back and I could have even been recovering faster and quicker than I already have been. So I just want to encourage everyone to not wait for someone else to save you or help you. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Don't wait for somebody else to save you. Not even Brian Barnett in the last <laughs> symptom. You Really, it comes down to you uh, taking control of the situation for yourself, saying that if this is going to get fixed, I'm going to have to do it. Mm-hmm.